The first five chapters of Acts depict some of the most exciting and dynamic times in the history of the church. Within a matter of days, 5,000 people have now joined this new community of faith. The rulers of the temple did all they could to try to stop this wildfire growth of the church. They tried imprisoning Peter and John. They tried threatening and banning them from public speaking. But these apostles still had the fire of Pentecost burning in their hearts, and nothing was going to stop them. They were performing signs and wonders. People were getting healed. The church was continuing to grow. Great grace was upon them all. It was a time of enormous dynamism. And everybody who had a need was cared for. What, what was going on there? That the church had this extraordinary moment of dynamism at the beginning of its life. Is it that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Spirit has never left the church, but we have not always known days like this. Is it that they were performing signs and wonders, miracles? Well, Jesus performed miracles that were much more impressive than what the apostles were doing, and he still got crucified. But I don't think that's it either. Perhaps part of the reason for the great dynamism of the church these days comes to us in verse 32 when we're told that the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were committed. Committed to the mission of God in Jesus Christ. Committed to this clarity that their lives would be spent proclaiming the good news of God in Jesus Christ and therefore absolutely committed to each other. These were men and women who had found their purpose in life and they were sold out to it, to each other and to the common mission. These days we don't think so much about a commitment to each other or to a common mission. What our society has taught us to think about is our rights as individuals. We're very clear about that now. Our right to pursue happiness as best as we can, our right to self-construct life however we choose to do it, no one can say no to me. We abhor coercion in any forms. I am an individual. I stand on my own feet. I have my rights. I am free. Well, the Bible wouldn't actually argue with that much of that. It does think that you are free. It certainly thinks you have rights. But it does not think that your freedom is something that should push you off on a lonely trek in search of a life that you will finally maybe like. And that's what's happening. When my daughter graduated from college, I was stunned to hear the commencement speaker peddling the exact same dribble I heard when I graduated from college <laughs> a generation ago. He stood in front of 5,000 graduates, and he said to them, you are among the brightest and best we have ever seen. Set your goals high, chase your own star, dream your own dreams, and you can be anything you want to be. 
Oh, for Pete's sakes. <laughs> he might as well have said, I'm sorry, we have nothing for you. You're on your own. All of life is just a la carte, going out there and put it together the best way you can. Good luck. <laughs> That's not a freedom that helps anybody, putting life together on your own the best you can without any clear sense of mission. When the Bible speaks of freedom, it speaks not only of freedom from, but also of freedom for. We are free, yes, from the addiction to sin. We are free from guilt and shame. We are free from illusions. But we are free for using our fleeting years for something that can make a difference. That's a different notion of freedom. Those outside the church are very clear about the rights of their freedom, but not so clear about the purposes of it. This is the wonderful news the church has to offer. I think this is a wonderful time to be entering the ministry because I think people are wearing down on this notion of just freedom from. I think people are dying to know what they're free for. Free for doing what? Free for what kind of holy mission? What is the purpose to my life? People are eager to hear that. I think we've given up now on the whole easy rider, hit the road, no commitments, wander around through life. We've tried that for two generations, and it just hasn't left anybody's soul anything other than dried out. And people are looking for things worthy of a commitment. When I was in college, I dropped out for a year to find myself. We were all doing that back then. And so I was free from all of the responsibilities of work at school, free from any relational responsibilities, and I just hit the road hitchhiking around the country. And at the end of that time where I found myself was working the midnight shift at a New York City gas station. You meet interesting people in the midnight shift <laughs> at, at a New York gas station. There was a homeless guy named Shorty who would come in about two in the morning completely inebriated every night. And I'd let him sleep it off in the, in the gas station and we'd get him up the next morning before the morning shift started and get him out and started to stay again. And we did this night after night after night. Well, one night I was particularly attending to the fact that uh, if I had found myself doing this, I didn't like the self I had found, and why didn't this work out better, my little sojourn into just being freedom from? So I was sitting by the gas pumps outside, leaning up against them, and sure he did something he'd never done before. He came back out of the gas station after I tucked him into bed, <laughs> and he came out and he sat next to me on the gas pumps, and he slapped me on the knee, he says, I like you. You and me, we've got a lot in common. <laughs> so the next day, I called the register of my college, <laughs> got recommitted to getting my life back in gear. What is life without something 
of a worthy commitment. Where does it end up? Now, I realize the kind of commitments that people want to make today are different than they did in previous generations. People aren't so interested just in committing themselves to an institution or even a, a particular career path. But we are still very interested in committing ourselves to the people we find in them. We're all looking for a mission worthy of our lives. And we want to find other people who share that mission, people with whom we can be one heart and one soul. That's the kind of commitment we want. And you don't just make that, you receive it. You receive that kind of a commitment, just as these first disciples did at the Pentecost. You receive it from the God who's the one who knows all about commitment. A God who's committed not only to be your creator, but to continue to do that which he's begun and to bring it to completion, to use the apostles' language. A God who's so committed to us that in Jesus Christ he's quite literally dying to love us, to love the world. A God who stretches his arms out to the world to demonstrate his commitment on the cross in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of commitment our God knows about. A God who's committed to us even when we have failed at commitments and don't think we deserve commitments again. That God is committed to us. A God who's committed to us even when we're not so sure we are committed to God. That's the kind of commitment that we receive. And as you pay attention to that, it overhauls your life. And you realize you've, you've received commitments yourselves. You've received the people that God has given you to commit yourself to. Now, these people may not be the church that you were planning on going to serve. It may not be in the town that you were planning on going to serve. It may not be the kind of nonprofit ministry you had in mind when you came here. It may certainly not be with the exact people you wanted to be with. These may not even be your kind of people. But they are now. Because God gave them to you. And when you choose to receive the people God has given you, even when you're stunned with surprise that God would give you these people, yes, when you choose to receive them, it changes your life. There was a Levite, a man from Cyprus named Joseph, who was part of this first church. He was so excited to be a part of the church that he... Like others, he sold his property, he gave the proceeds to the apostles' feet, placed them at the apostles' feet. He, they were so impressed how, not only with this gift, but how Joseph just kept trying to encourage others because he finally found some people with whom he could be one heart and one soul. That they said, you've changed, Joseph, since you've been here. In fact, they just went ahead and changed his name to call him Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The commitment had overhauled his life. Now he would be forever known as the son of encouragement, a man who was clear about having to make commitments. We know later in the story of Acts, Barnabas was so committed to the apostle Paul in the first missionary journey, he stayed with him, even when Paul kept getting tossed out of one town after a knock, usually with a shower of rocks behind him. Barnabas was so committed to young John Mark, that he stayed with Mark after his early failure in his career because Barnabas knew this, this guy was going to make it and he would stay with him. Barnabas was so committed to the church that he 
he settled into a legacy of always being kind of the, the number two guy at, in that church. If you ever notice, we always just hear about Paul and Barnabas. You never hear about Barnabas and Paul. When you're the daughter or the son of encouragement, you don't really care about that. What you care about is the commitment that you've made and to the people that you've committed, but number two is fine. Maybe some of you are going to leave here to be the next generation's Apostle Paul. Maybe. We could sure use one. But what if you were asked to so devote yourself to a commitment that you would be Barnabas? That at the end of your life, someone would be standing up to give the eulogy and say, this person was a fabulous number two, and the kingdom is far better because of her. Or because of him, he knew what it was like to, to make a difference. It all depends on whether you're committed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.